Welcome to this podcast series about investing in emerging markets into the new decade. It's fair to say that the emerging market universe of today looks very different from that of the 1990s. Indeed, the various economies that make up emerging markets have come a long way, and their rapid development has been nothing short of astounding. In the first episode of this series, we talked with Valeria Vine about the development, outlook and trends in emerging markets. Today, we'll take a closer look at the growing wealth in the sector. How do aviation, luxury goods and the rise of the financial sector impact emerging markets? And where do we find the best investment opportunities? That's something I'll discuss with Richard Carlyle, Equity Investment Director at Capital Group. Richard, welcome. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you for inviting me, Mariah. It's very nice to be here, even if it's only virtually. So thank you. Richard, you... Maybe let's start at the beginning. You have quite a number of years of investment experience under your belt already. Uh, and I wonder how have you seen emerging markets develop during those years? Well, thanks for reminding me how old I am, but it's been, a, <laughs> been an astonishing development. I mean, when when Capital launched its uh, first emerging market global uh, investment fund back in 1986, there were really only four countries we invested in, Korea, Thailand, the Philippines and Malaysia. Uh, we didn't invest in Russia and China until 1993. Fast forward to today and the universe, especially if you include the emerging market debt arena, is now more than 60 countries. Uh, you know, the days when the first companies that you could invest in were generally a cement company and a bank are now well gone. Extractive industries have gone from a quarter of the universe to less than 10%. And you now have some uh, companies in some highly innovative sectors. We would highlight healthcare, uh, digital payments and internet platforms. So effectively, emerging markets have very rapidly gone from being a cheap labor manufacturing export environment into being big consumers and, you know, countries like China, India uh, and India. Indonesia, say, are very big internal markets themselves. So, you know, dramatic progress uh, uh, in, the, in the last sort of couple of decades. Indeed, indeed. Um, so we're going to talk about a couple of um, topics today. And firstly, I'd like to discuss with you the, the rise of air travel in emerging markets. Uh, and before COVID-19, uh, around 150 million people in Asia traveled for the first time each year. And I wonder, how is that situation currently? Well, yes, I mean, uh, travel has been a huge uh, growth industry as, as uh, consumers in emerging markets have become wealthier. More and more of their income has been spent on uh, travel, much of that involving air travel. But to state the obvious, you know, both 2020 and 2021 one have seen significant disruption, huge disruption, and um, not only to travel and tourism, but also to business travel, which has often been the most profitable mark part of the travel market, particularly for uh, for airlines and hotels. So significant disruption. I mean, things are recovering. Domestic and short haul travel in some markets has recovered. We observe that in China, for example, domestic travel is pretty much back to pre-pandemic levels. We watch with interest how long long haul 
business uh, travel recovers, and maybe cruise lines, which obviously had dreadful publicity at the start of the uh, of the pandemic. But you know, these are growth industries. Uh, I think uh, one of the challenges for an investor is finding the companies to invest in because much of this industry operates outside the quoted sector. But you know, there are areas like Macau uh, in China where you know hotels and casinos are a big market. There are some domestic uh, Chinese hotel companies, and we invest in companies like Wizz Air, which is a Hungarian, so Budapest-based, ultra-low-cost uh, travel company. So there are ways of investing, uh, and we watch with interest, as I say, how it will recover from 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 the pandemic. Hmm. And the example you mentioned was China in in Asia. Um, do you see the aviation market develop in Africa as well? Is there a similar? trend that you see? I think it's less well developed in Africa. I think um, there is lots of demand for tourist travel from Africa to Europe, but uh, domestic tourism in Africa is still early stage development. Probably coronavirus has rather helped that develop as people have been forced to uh, stay within their countries uh, uh, and not travel. Uh, but yes, longer term, you can quite see as Africa follows Asia in the wealthier consumers, more disposable income, there is every expectation that they too will uh, will want to travel and see interesting parts of the world. You know, we hope that in a few years' time we look back and see coronavirus as a couple of year introduction or sort of interruption to a to a long term mm -hmm. uptrend. So uh, yes, and I can imagine uh, Richard that a revival in travel uh, not only benefits just the aviation sector. Uh, maybe there are also other spill-off effects that you see. Well, there are the suppliers to the aviation sector, so Boeing and Airbus would be very obvious beneficiaries. But then many emerging markets themselves, you know, will benefit from, from the resumption of tourism. I mean, if you think about the emerging markets, you know, you can think of all the people wanting to climb Machu Picchu. So they spend money in Peru. That's uh, that's good for the Peruvian economy. But Egypt, Greece, Turkey, uh, South Africa, Vietnam, to a certain extent, Indonesia and Thailand, all of those have very significant tourist industries. Uh, and, you know, that adds to employment, It adds, to, it adds to tax collection. So it can be very positive for those countries. And, you know, I'm sure they're all as keen as everybody else to to, to resume that uh, the benefits from tourism. Agreed. I know I know I am for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we spoke a bit about air travel. A second trend uh, that we see in emerging markets are uh, luxury goods. And with the evolution of a wealthy class, we see a rise in consumer spending, specifically in luxury goods. Uh, maybe to mention an example, when Hermes reopened its Jiangsu store in China after months of lockdown, the first day sales hit a record high of $2.7 million. Amazing, in one day. Uh, what would you say, Richard, drives this spending on personal luxury goods in China and, and also other Asian economies? Well, agree. That that $2.7 million is reputedly the biggest sales of any one boutique store in any one day in China. So so uh, if, if, if illustration were needed of the, the pent-up demand for luxury goods spending, that is excellent. I think there's even a phrase for it now. I think people are saying it's called revenge spending. When you come out of mm -hmm. lockdown, you, you, you have your revenge you compensate. by, by yes. buying some luxury. So, exactly. so, so good. And the two are obviously linked because much luxury goods spending is 
is done by tourists as they visit uh, other countries. You know, uh, uh, you know, you've got to you've got to say that the growth of the Chinese middle class has been a huge driver for for, for growth in luxury uh, consumption, and some of the traditional luxury goods companies like Louis Vuitton, Richemont, uh, and Kering have benefited significantly from that. I mean, there are domestic emerging market companies, particularly in the spirits area, that have developed premium brands, uh, but a lot of it is in is in Western brand uh, uh, companies. We watch for developing trends. You know, is there a trend at the moment towards less conspicuous consumption? So not uh, emblazing a, a, an expensive brand on your on on some some designer piece of clothing, but maybe more experiences. Um, and certainly, um, if uh, if Xi Jinping uh, desires more common prosperity, you can see that uh, that trend developing. And we watch very cl- carefully for locally uh, developed brands for emerging markets, because you know there must be a stage when uh, consumers do, uh, would like domestic brands rather than uh, than international brands. So they're the things we watch out for. But yes, recovery and luxury spending happening uh, uh, significantly at the moment and should only be boosted when uh, when tourist travel uh, resumes in, in, in full swing. Uh, yes. Right. Now, a lot of these uh, personal luxury goods, uh, handbags, leather goods, apparel, accessories, jewelry, they all skew heavily female, I'd say. Would you, would you say that this consumer spending trend is centered around female wealth mainly? I, I I worry about being too stereotyped. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, men can carry leather bags, of and, course, uh, and of course, you know, both men and ladies can wear very large watches. And I think, interestingly, that some of the watch companies have stopped distinguishing between men's and women's watches recently. So that is a that is excellent and a, and a sign of the times. I think um, I think um, you know, and don't forget, in China, you know, the statistic we have is that a quarter, if you figure of a of a male and female household, in twenty five percent of those the female earns more than the male so okay so, uh, you know I don't I don't think we should be too stereotyped here there are lots of challenges for luxury goods companies you know for providing providing luxury items for men to wear is more restrictive it tends to be very large watches but then companies like Swatch have made a, a great business out of that uh, you know there are challenges I mean the move of advertising from posters and magazines to online to Google and to Facebook is a challenge for luxury goods companies you know, brands that aren't maintained and invested in can fade. I mean, 10 years ago, Brooks Brothers was a was a premium clothing brand in the US, now now in financial difficulty. Uh, Blackberry was a premium brand 15 years ago, now again, uh, not, not so popular. When I grew up, I suppose the most attractive car I wanted was a Rolls Royce. Now my daughters would say they would much rather have a Tesla. So, you know, the importance of investing and maintaining in brands, uh, I think, shouldn't be underestimated. And brand brand managers have to cope with changes about how prominent the brand should be, the mix of male and female, etc. So, uh, uh, you know, it's an interesting area we watch with, uh, with, uh, with, with considerable interest. I can imagine. Now, do you expect that this spending on luxury goods, whether it is by male or female, um, will continue in the coming years? Yes, definitely. It is a, as households become wealthier, the demand for luxury uh, grows inexorably. It's just like, it's like travel. Uh, I think, as I say, the, the key is working out what luxury areas uh, grow and which ones start to fade and it will be ever-changing and you know brands will come and go but yes it's definitely a faster than GDP growth industry uh, long term yep 
Okay. Well, certainly, we, we now spoke about air travel and luxury goods. Uh, I would also like to dedicate some time to the, the rise of the financial sector in emerging market. For a long time, cash was king, um, yet the pandemic has changed that. Uh, that long-term uh, structural trend from cash now went to electronic payments. What would you say, Richard, are the drivers behind this trend? And again, is it a trend that is here to stay? So I think it is a trend that's here to stay, and I think it's one where emerging markets can have a leadership position. What's behind the trend? I think many factors. I mean, short term, it is a demand to make payments without physical contact. So, you know, credit cards or uh, a mobile phone app is a more safe, secure way than handing over uh, notes and coins. Uh, There are many um, governments with a vested interest in moving to electronic transactions. They can monitor those transactions. Don't forget what, two or three years ago, the Indian government um, made high denomination banknotes illegal to, you know, stop large transactions that could be hidden from the the, 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 the tax authorities in India. So that, that encouraged uh, um, e-payment. And of course, for the banks, I mean, carting around and guarding large amounts of cash is expensive. Filling up cash machines is expensive. And it's not always clear how they get paid for those activities. So there are lots of sort of drivers of a move to e-payments. And you almost think it's a little bit like the transition you had in telephone. So in developed markets, you went to fixed lines and then mobile. But emerging markets effectively missed out the fixed line experience, they went straight to mobile. And you think maybe the same is happening in e-payments and that they will miss out having their their, their shops and high streets littered with cash machines and they will move straight to uh, apps, uh, you know, digital wallets, etc. So it's a very interesting market. And of course, it's a very large market. You know, if you are a company and you are taking a fraction of a percent of a transaction, transaction volumes are enormous. So from an investor perspective, it's very interesting. So, um, you know, one of our top areas of interest in emerging markets. Okay, Richard, so we're talking uh, digital payments, which are no longer dominated just by the traditional banks and by the credit card systems that we know. Um, Which other types of financial solutions and payments do you see thanks to the internet and the use of smartphones in emerging markets? Well, no, you highlight a very interesting area for us. I mean, so types of types of app, you know, obviously most common would be digital wallets where you add cash or credit to an app and you can spend that in a variety of ways. There are super apps that are digital wallets and more apps on top. And WeChat in China is a good example of that. And there are the buy now, pay later apps. And Klarna is probably the the, the, the best example of that. But it is, it's, it's a long-term trend and, you know, several points to make. One is it is a very very large market all transactions globally is enormous. If you are an app and you are only securing a few basis points percentage of the transaction value, that revenue can uh, can grow very quickly. It's also clearly a long-term trend. It seems highly unlikely that tech-savvy youngsters are going to revert to using cash in future. Uh, and as I say, there are governments, banks who are, you know, supportive of this trend. It allows them to probably collect more tax, monitor more transactions, uh, and it allows banks banks to cut costs. And of course, I think you've got to expect the banks to fight back. I mean, this is a core market for them. Credit cards are incredibly profitable. So they will be launching their own apps. Um, uh, and we watch with interest this area, but a very big market. And uh, and uh, one in which I think, you know, it, there are emerging market companies that can take the lead ahead of the normal developed market suspects. So. Hmm. 
Interesting. Well, we'll, we'll watch that space. Uh, and thank you, Richard, for talking us through all these uh, trends that you see happening. I think what all of us would like to know now is which investment opportunities do you see uh, as a result of these trends? Well, well we, we are, we, you know, we are bottom-up stock pickers, so we don't, we don't particularly sort of, we wouldn't say you invest in a particular country or a particular sector. You know, emerging mm. markets are a volatile asset class, so we think broad exposure uh, makes complete sense. But, you know, the industries you highlight, such as the travel industry, uh, you know, as I say, we watch with interest to see how long-haul travel recovers, how business travel recovers, how will business travel interact with uh, ESG factors, so a growing number of companies wanting to be carbon neutral, how does that fit with um, with lots of business class and first-class business travel, that's one of the things we watch with interest, but, you know, we are a long-term believer in the growth of travel, you know, we own Airbus shares, and that is a, that is a eminently sensible, well-diversified way of getting broad long-term exposure to what, what has to be a growing market. I think in luxury goods, again, you know, we would be optimistic about that. Very focused on trying to find those local brands that aren't owned by Louis Vuitton, etc. But Louis Vuitton um, um, and some of the other, you know, well-known uh, uh, European brand companies, Richemont, etc., you know, have to be beneficiaries of that long-term. They are excellent managers of their brands and very good at evolving their brands to meet uh, growing changes in, uh, uh, in, in demand. So, so uh, some, some non-emerging market listed ways of benefiting from growth in emerging markets for you. Mm, right, right. And I cannot tempt you to say, okay, these countries will do better or these sectors or, or companies are... You, you could tempt me, but it wouldn't add any value. Um, uh, so I, <laughs> okay. I will resist. We are, we are simply bottom-up stock pickers. We, we, don't, we, don't, exactly. we don't particularly think uh, we like this sector so we'll buy all the companies in it. So no, and I think your, your story was very clear uh, in, in terms of the trends that you see happening. And I think people can decide for themselves what the effects will be uh, on specific uh, countries and sectors uh, if they want to. Um, I'd like to thank you, Richard, for this fun and, and very interesting uh, interview. Thank you, Mariah. Thank you for all the great questions. Thank you very much. You listened to a podcast on investing in emerging markets into the new decade and the rise of prosperity in the sector. I would like to thank today's guest, Richard Carlyle, Equity Investment Director at Capital Group, for his time and his insights. This podcast is offered to you by Capital Group. And if you'd like to know more about investing in emerging markets, please visit the Capital Group website, capitalgroup.com. For more podcasts, please visit the Fonts News website, fontsnews.nl forward slash podcast. This podcast has been recorded in September 2021 and the information presented is for illustrative purposes only. While Capital Group uses reasonable efforts to obtain information from third-party sources which it believes to be reliable, Capital Group makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy, reliability or completeness of the information. Any opinion, estimate or forecast is subject to change. This communication is of a general nature and not intended to provide investment advice, or to be a solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Statements attributed to an individual represent the opinions of that individual and may not necessarily reflect the view of Capital Group or its affiliates. American funds are not registered for sale outside of the United States. Emerging markets are volatile and may suffer from liquidity problems.